Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Excited to be here on a Monday, uh, Sunday morning. Oops. Glad you guys are here. I am actually uh, very excited. I am uh, today, as you can see, on the stage with some of these trees in the lobby. It's all christmas out. It is officially Christmas season. Amen. Uh, let's, let's be real quick. Let's take a quick little poll. Uh, how many here are the ones that just decorate as soon as Thanksgiving's over? All right. Who's here that are weirdos like me and my wife and we decorate as soon as it hits November? All right. There's a few of us. I'm not alone. I love it. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I love Christmas. I love that we get to start a brand new series uh, today, this morning, called The Christmas Story. And today, um, I have the honor and privilege to preach uh, today a sermon on hope. And more than just a topical sermon on hope, but talking about the advent of, uh, of hope. Uh, traditionally in churches, you remember the coming of Jesus during, uh, during this Christmas season, the Savior in the manger, and remember how Christ came, and we speak on the advent of Jesus. And if you're wondering what this word advent means and why we're doing a, a series uh, about this word that we don't even know what it means, the word advent just means the arrival, the arrival of a noble person, thing, or event. And this Christmas, obviously, that person is Jesus. Amen? And so in reality this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about the arrival of Jesus and the hope that arrived with him when he was born in that manger. And I'll be honest with you guys this morning that uh, this message is not going to be the typical sermon that you would hear necessarily on, uh, on a Christmas Advent series. We're actually going to go, we're going to dive a little deeper this, this morning. We're going to go, uh, we're going to get a little theological to understand who Jesus is. To understand who Jesus, what Jesus says about himself. I believe that if we answer that question of who Jesus is, and I challenge you this morning to answer that question for yourself of who is this Jesus. And once we can answer this question as we dive deep in this message here this morning, until we understand who he is, is that we can fully understand the hope that came when Jesus was born. So before we get into this message here, let's pray and we'll get right into it. Let's bow our heads. God, I thank you so much this, this morning for the word. I thank you uh, again for the arrival of good news, the arrival of hope, the arrival of your son. Lord, this morning, help us learn. Please teach us. Open up our hearts and our minds to understand that we may be convicted to know the truth of who you say that you are. We love you so much. We thank you so much. And in Jesus' mighty name, God's people said, amen, amen. And so we read earlier uh, in the book of Luke, in the book of Luke, 
And we saw the story or the beginning of the arrival or the announcement of Jesus to a young virgin girl. And he came to, and this angel by the name of Gabriel came to Mary and let her know that she will give birth to a, the son of God, the most holy. And she comes with this question that is a very important verse that we get to read as believers to understand or begin to understand why the birth of Jesus was so significant. In verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How is it possible that she would be of child if she is never, if she is a virgin, she hasn't even been married? How would this be? A curious question from Mary to ask this angel. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was conceived. Which is why the angel says he will be called the Son of God. And we continue reading, we find this very important, bold declaration by Gabriel. It says, that, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. It's important. Nothing will be impossible with God. Not the virgin birth, not a barren woman, nothing. And Mary, being obedient as she is, said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so this morning, we read out of the Gospel of Luke. See, in the New Testament, it tells us that, that Luke was actually a doctor and traveled with the Apostle Paul. So I want us to understand here this morning that Luke is a credible leader in the church. He is a credible source that we can read his account of what happened in the life of Jesus. See, this is important to know because I want us to make sure that we understand this because the Christmas story we are going to be reading throughout this Christmas series is a true story. Amen? It's not a made-up story that we, that we share once a year for us to be able to be filled with warmth and fuzzy feelings. But it is a very true story that we tell and we remember so we can be certain of the hope that came when Jesus was born. See, in Luke, a few verses before this, in verse 3 and 4, it says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent 
Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So right here, right at the beginning of the book, of the account of the gospel according to Luke, he says that he writes this, and he wrote these things closely in order to give an orderly account for me and for you, specifically here for Theophilus, for what purpose? So that he may have certainty concerning the things that he has taught. See, this word certainty means to know a person, event, or subject well. Luke has a heart of a pastor. And he knows that people like me and you and like Theophilus, that we waver in following Jesus. We are prone to wander. We often fall short in being perfect followers of Jesus. And so with, this, with these verses, what Paul, I mean, sorry, what Luke is essentially saying is that I want you to be certain of the truth. That's how this doctor, this credible teacher starts off this story with truth. And so this morning, I want you to know that, this, that, that you will be listening to, a, to truth, to a true story. The church, the Bible says, is the pillar and ground of the truth. And when you come here at South Valley, you should hear the truth. So here's some truth for you. Jesus Christ is the incarnate God. This is one of the most crucial, critical, and sadly, one of the most neglected aspects of our theology. That Jesus is God. And we, amen, you can clap for that, praise the Lord. And we, I believe we neglected for a number of reasons. Not, li not least of these is that people love Jesus, right? Even the unbeliever in a surface level would proclaim or say that they love Jesus, even if they don't serve or go to church or read their Bibles or follow their commands or be obedient or do any of these things that is said for a believer to do once they've come to a knowledge of Christ, amen? But everybody loves Jesus, but everybody loves Jesus as long as we're not too clear about who he is. As long as things are surface level, people are okay with Jesus. And if you want evidence of that, Christmas is the ultimate example of it. Everybody celebrates Christmas. Everybody loves Christmas. Believer and unbeliever, even the ungodly, love and celebrate Christmas. You want some evidence of that? Listen to this. As I was reading through uh, just different uh, sermons preparing for today, I came across this fact, and I thought it was so interesting and just proves this point for us this morning. In the, in the Guinness Book of World Records is recorded the most expensive tree ever decorated. On December 16th, 2010, not very long. I graduated 2011, so not very old, right? Thank you. The most expensive dressed Christmas tree was valued at $11,026,900. And you'll never guess where it was put up. It was put up 
and displayed by the Emirates Palace in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, during the holiday or the Christmas season. We have diluted Christmas so much in this world that a Muslim country has the Guinness World Record for the most expensive Christmas tree ever in the world, erected in the middle of a mall in a country where one would not dare even think about converting to Christianity. Why? Because everybody loves Jesus as long as you don't define who he is. As long as you don't get to the nitty-gritty of what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. And so before we really get into this message this morning, we have to talk about who Jesus is. Or at least I want to present to you the question to ask and to answer this morning of who do you say that Jesus is? Everything in your life and everything in eternity is determined by how you answer this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? See, because that in and of itself is the scandal of Christianity. It sets Christianity apart from every other religion and everything else. You have to answer and define who Jesus is. And so this morning as we're presented by this, and we will later in the message define who Jesus is and proclaim who he says he is. But that you ponder upon that throughout the sermon. By the promised Son of God, the deliverer, the hope of the world, a baby in a manger is such good news. For us to understand why he was the hope, we have to understand who he is. And so earlier, we read in Luke on an angel coming and bringing and announcing the good news to Mary. But today I want to add a few more verses to us to read this morning out of Galatians chapter 4. Primarily, we're going we're gonna to focus on verse 4, but let, let's read it from verse 1 all the way to verse 4. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4. Catch this. But when the fullness of, God, the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, under the born under the law. He is, says here in verse four, when the fullness, but when the fullness of time had come. See, the birth of Jesus was providential. He says, when the fullness of time had come. In other words, at the exact moment when it was right, when it was time, because God is never early and he can't be late, amen? In the fullness of time when everything was right, God was not reacting to situations or circumstances. It was the fullness of time. God did exactly what he intended, exactly how he intended, exactly when he intended. 
The birth of Jesus was providential. The birth of Jesus was part of a plan. The birth of Jesus was part of God's plan, a specific plan for a specific purpose. For when the fullness of time had come, Christ would be born according to the plan of the Father. And so why is this important? Because at this very moment, Jesus, the birth of Jesus, brought hope. And it's still true for us today that the birth of Jesus brings hope. Amen? Amen. So what is hope? It's defined that it's a state of anticipation. See, and it's a very important concept throughout the Bible that we see. In fact, uh, there are many words uh, for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible. I want to look at two today, and the, uh, two of them. And the first one is yachal. I want to sound proper. I'm not sure if that was right, but we're going to pretend that's exactly how you say it. Which means to simply Wait. Much like the story of Noah and the ark, as the flood receded, Noah had to yachal for weeks. But the other Hebrew word which I want to focus on is kavah, Q-A-V-A-H, which also means to wait, but it actually has, it's attached to another word of kav, Q-A-V, which means a cord. Much like a chord that you would see uh, on a piano, on a grand piano, or on a guitar string, that as you pull it, it brings tension. When you pull a chord tight, you produce this state of tension until there is release. And that's what kavah is. It's a feeling of tension and expectation that while you wait for something to happen, you wait on the Lord to answer miraculously. And so the people of the Old Testament would wait and are waiting for and are hopeful for out of all this tension, some type of release in a miraculous way. They are waiting essentially for the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, to be born in a miraculous way. But why? Why? Because there has been no other man on earth there has been no other human being on earth that has been able to bring salvation and hope to this world. And so I want to explore a few people in the Bible. People that reflected Christ well, but ultimately fell short. We call these types of Jesus, what we call typology where we see these people that reflect Jesus well and they do the things and maybe they fulfill some of the prophecies, but ultimately fall short because they are sinful human beings. But there are many people of the Bible, in fact, you can go through any person, practically any key person in Scripture, and see how they image Christ to come. That they are a shadow of what was to come in the fullness of hope and salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And so today I want, I want to explore with you this morning a few of those people. The first one is Moses. 
that he delivers his people out of slavery, out of the nation, out of the shackles of Egypt. And how does this happen? In anticipation, in a hopeful way, in a miraculous way, that the Red Sea is parted. The whole Red Sea is parted. Not in an ordinary way, but in a supernatural way. Not in a natural way, but in a miraculous way. And he would separate the waters in order that the people of God would go safely into freedom away and be saved from what has them in shackles, the Egyptians. We see David, a shepherd boy, brave, stands up to Goliath. And although he is significantly bigger than him, we see that he slays Goliath and he cuts off the head, liberating them from the threats of their enemies. And lastly, we have Hosea and the way that he has mercy for his bride, for his wife. And in the moment that his wife Gomer leaves him and her family to go live back in her life of lust, instead of leaving her behind and leaving her to her sin, goes after her. And when he finds her, scholars believe that she was being, that she was being auctioned off as a slave. And Hosea goes up and he pays the debt that is owed that she may be free, that his bride will be free from the shackles of what has been enslaving her of her past being reunited and reconciled with his bride. But what's the problem with these men? Is that they were imperfect. They were sinful men. They couldn't fulfill the full promise of God. They had inherited this curse of sin. In other words, they weren't God. But you know who is? Jesus Christ. He is the deliverer, the hope that people were waiting for, the healer, the redeemer, the Messiah, the Son of God, the only hope to this world. The only one that could deliver us from sin. The only one that could defeat our enemies. The only one that reconciles us back to our Father. See, Jesus is a better Moses that delivers us from being slaves to sin into freedom in Christ alone. Jesus is a better David that defeats the sin of our lives and cuts off the, the head of the serpent. Jesus is a better Hosea that has mercy upon his church, upon us, the bride. Even though we turn our backs and go back to our old lives, he reconciles us back as his bride. Jesus is better. He is the only one. There has been no other like Jesus. There could be no other that could bring the hope and salvation that Jesus could bring. And so we circle back to before you this morning to present you once again with this question. 
who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? A very easy statement. But nonetheless, in the world that we live in, a bold statement. That Jesus is God. Jesus is God. See, this is important, important for us to understand this morning because like I said before, for us to fully understand the hope that Jesus brings and why he is the only hope, the only sacrifice, we must understand the incarnation, that Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. So listen, listen to this. He is God because if he is just a good man or a good teacher or a good prophet, then he would be perfectly acceptable to this world. Mormons and Muslims alike, they love Jesus. Hindus and Buddhists are very happy with Jesus as long as he's just a teacher who brings good wisdom. Then Jesus is fine. But the minute that you step across that line and argue that Jesus is more than just a prophet, more than just a good teacher, more than, than anything else, and that he is actually God incarnate, God with us, now all of a sudden all those that were willing to gather with you and be there with you, they scatter. They divide themselves from you because everybody loves Jesus as long as you don't define him. Man. This is him saying this. He's the one that says, I am not just a prophet. He is God become man. The eternal Son of God that has robed himself in flesh and now dwells among mankind. He tabernacles among men. He dwells amongst his creation. He is God. See, it's not very difficult in our time to oh, turn on our TVs or get on our social medias, Instagram, everything else. It's not very hard to see how Christians and Christianity is portrayed by the media, by social media. We don't have a very good reputation amongst these things. And here's the thing, there's a solution. There's something that we can do for everybody to be okay with Christianity, for everyone to be okay with what we believe in. And all we have to do is change one simple word about the statement of who Jesus is. All we have to change is the to a. Uh. Instead of saying that he is the Savior, all we have to say is that he is a Savior. And everybody would be good with that. If I were to say this and say it in this sermon and put on, it would go viral. Everyone would love it. All of my unbelieving friends, all the people that disagree would be, yes, great, amazing. As long as it's just an option and not the only option. Everybody is okay with it. Why? Because the scandal of Christianity is not that Jesus is a Savior, not that Jesus is a Lord, not that Jesus is a prophet or a hope. The scandal of Christianity is that Jesus is the Lord. 
that He is God, that He is our only hope, the only option, the only way. And anyone who contradicts Him is wrong. That's the scandal of Christianity. And those of us here that are believers and Christians, we need to understand something. If you deny this truth and you try to shortcut your way around it or maneuver your way around it and make your faith more compatible and friendly and approachable to people so that they may like you more, then you've denied Christ. He is not just a savior. He's the Savior. He did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the hope, the only hope for me and for you and for this darkened world. So why is this so important? Why is it so important that we understand who Jesus is we define him properly? Why do we proclaim and say that he is the only hope? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. And we get a first glimpse of this promise in Genesis chapter 3, way back at the beginning. Right when the fall happened, when the serpent deceives the woman and the woman eats and the woman gives the fruit to the man and he eats. And so the fall of man has occurred because they, com- they disobeyed the command that God gave them in Genesis chapter 2, not to eat of this fruit. And so because of their diso- the disobedience to God's command, sin entered the world and now separated us be- within our relationship between us and the Father kicked out of the garden, to be out of his presence, alienated from the presence of God because of sin that has separated us. And now you and I, we are cursed with this sin, imputed onto us, put on our account from the moment that we are born. But what I love about this is that the fall happens and a verse later, Chapter 315, he didn't wait long. He, God brings a promise of hope to us. Saying this is not the end. There is someone coming. Genesis chapter 315, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent here. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This offspring is talking about this seed of a woman. Saying that there that, that, that they, that they will come from the woman, a seed, a hope for the world. The Messiah, the deliverer. some point some point in time after this promise when the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the snake this Messiah is going to come and crush the head of this serpent now the text doesn't tell us when it was going to happen in Genesis and say a specific time or this many years or anything like that however when the fullness of time had come 
promised seed king. The fullness of time had come. The promised seed king. The hope of Jesus came in a manger. Came in a manger. And we continue reading there in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says that Jesus is born of a woman to be able to satisfy the promise that God had made to mankind, but he also has to be born under the law. Now let's talk about these implications of why it's important. Now was it necessary for the promised seed to be born of a woman, otherwise God lied. And we know that God does not lie, amen? He says, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and his seed. And no longer, the seed that's coming from this woman, from this virgin girl, is not coming from the same way, from the same birth that, that, oh, that me and you have come. It didn't come because Jesus did not inherit the sin of Adam like you and I. There had to be an extraordinary, it had to be a supernatural, miraculous way for Jesus to come into this world. Through the seed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And see, that's the thing that oftentimes, right, we, we find out someone's pregnant. By the way, my wife is pregnant. Um, But we tend to say this pretty often, like pregnancy is such a miracle. And don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful thing. I'm so excited for uh, our son to be here, but, but it's probably one of the most natural things to happen. I don't know if you guys know this, but it happens every day. And I say this because when we talk about a miracle, we're talking about the supernatural, right? A birth of Jesus, that was supernatural. The birth of Jesus, that was miraculous. That came by the power of the Holy Spirit to a virgin birth. And so the other part of this, that he's born of a woman, he's also born under the law that he might redeem those that are under the law. That's me and you. Those that are burdened with sin. That's me and you. So he had to be born of a woman to fulfill the promise Born of a woman, that he is not born like natural means like me and you, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he also has to be born under the law in order that he can redeem us that are under the law. And so this points out two problems that we have as human beings that me and you have. Is Number one, we have, uh, we have the sin, this sin that we were born with, and we're guilty because of that. Amen? Number two, we have this law of God, these commandments that God has told us to keep that we cannot keep because of our sinful nature that we've inherited from Adam. Right? Little by little, we're, we're, we're all together here. And so God requires us that are born under the law, that are born sinful, that inherited the sin of Adam to keep the law righteous, but we cannot and we will not be righteous because of our sin nature. So essentially it boils down to this. We're in trouble, right? This is the hopelessness and the helplessness that is a life without Jesus. 
This is what they were hoping for in the Old Testament as the prophecies came for Jesus to come because they were in a helpless situation, hopeless situation, knowing that they could not and would not inherit the righteousness of God on by themselves, but they needed a Savior. If the law pointed anything to them and to us is to show we are incapable of fulfilling the law perfectly, we need a Savior. We need hope. And some of the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God needs to be these two things. The seed of the woman to be born without a sin nature. And he has to be born under the law and keep the whole law so that he can be righteous and obedient. So in other words, he has to be fully God, conceived the power of the Holy Spirit and be fully man, flesh and bone to keep the law perfectly. Which is why he's God's son. He is the only one to be born without a sin nature and keep the whole law. So he has to fulfill both sides of this redemption coin. He keeps the whole law and he is actually righteous, which is important because that means he can impute that righteousness to us through faith, that we can inherit that righteousness through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. But then as a man, get this, but then as a man, Christ can actually take the penalty of death that we owe to God for our sin. Skin and bones so that he can die on the cross for me and you. See, that's why the incarnation is so important to understand so that we can fully digest the hope that only Jesus can bring, that it could only have been Him, that He is the only way. No other man, no other prophet, no other teacher, no other apostle could have been that substitutionary atonement on your behalf because they're all sinful. And Jesus is not the perfect, blemish-free offering of the Lord. So Christ, the eternal Son of God, wraps himself in flesh, clothes himself in humanity, and he, ha and he as the Son can redeem us, pay for our sin, reconcile us to God in order that we may be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. See, this Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. The baby's in the manger for a purpose, amen? And the, baby, the baby's in the manger because we're all guilty and alienated from God. The baby's in the manger because without him, there would be no hope. Without him, we would be helpless and hopeless. Without him, we would still have a sin problem with no solution for reconciliation with the Father. Because it is only through the baby in the manger who grows up and lives a perfect life, dies a substitutionary atoning death on the cross, raises again on the third day, ascends to the right hand of the Father where He makes and makes intercession for us that we may have salvation in Christ alone. Only Jesus. The only hope. That's why He is the only hope of the world. That's why the birth of Jesus brings hope to us. This is why the announcement here in the book of Luke, these verses we read this morning is such 
amazing good news for you and I, for the world, because it brings hope that only Jesus can bring. And this morning, he can be the hope that you've been anticipating. Maybe you've been waiting for the tension to cease. A life in Jesus is a life filled with hope of eternal life. He's paid the price. And so this morning, if you've been feeling a tug in your heart, if you're like, the Lord is drawing you near, I don't want you to leave this place without praying with a pastor that we can affirm with you and rejoice with you and pray with you and praise to God that he has saved another soul. So I'm going to pray. And, and, and at the end, when everyone's dismissed, please, we have a few pastors up here in the front. Come pray with us. We love to, um, to see what the Lord is doing in your life. Jesus is the only hope. Amen? Pray with me. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for the word and the truth that's within this word. I thank you for your son and the sacrifice that you made for us, that you didn't leave us to ourselves to die in our iniquity, in our sin that you sent your son that he may pave a way, a miraculous way, that we may have a life, eternal life in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. Thank you for being that hope. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit continue to teach, convict, and lead us to Jesus every single day. We love you so much. We thank you, Lord, so much for that hope. And in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. God's people said, amen.